and welcome to Teeth and Tales. I'm your host, Dr. Shadi Manacheri, and today's episode is all about complaints handling and what you should be looking for in an indemnity provider. I'm excited to announce that this episode is brought to you by Taylor Defense Services. I really hope you enjoy this episode, and without further ado, let's get into it. Hi, Stuart. Hi, Victoria. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you both? I'm well, thank you. Nice to be with you today, Shadi. Thanks. Thanks for the invite, Shadi. My pleasure. This is a very, very important topic, and I'm really excited to start discussing this. But before we get into complaints handling, could you tell us a little bit about yourselves, what you do, and how you got here, please? Sure. Well, I'm Victoria. I qualified as a dentist in 1999. Um, I've always worked in general practice and since um, 2007 I have been um, one of the partners at the Briars Dental Centre in Newbury. I still work a couple of days a week clinically and so I'm still practicing dentist but in 2017 I joined TDS. It was at a time when Neil Taylor was looking to expand the services down into England and Wales And I'd been doing quite a lot of expert witness work up until that point, as well as my clinical practice. And Neil had approached me to see if I'd be interested to to join him. And I I was. So I joined as the first dental advisor at TDS. Um, I just did a few hours a week and then gradually built up to the point where I was doing sort of three, three, three and a half days a week. Amazing. I think that must be quite interesting because I always think if you're Um, doing sort of medical legal work it must really affect your practice in a good way in a positive way have you found that that's the case you have you started doing things differently since you've been doing this kind of work um yes and no I'd say it's made me a little bit um more aware of sometimes the things that patients can complain about and sometimes I have made changes I'd say to my how maybe how the practices run if we see things where patients are complaining I've always done a lot of postgraduate dentistry so for me it was always really important that I was kind of at the top of my game so fortunately um although we do get to patient complaints I generally try and find that I'm, I'm doing sort of treatments in a way that maybe we don't have as many complaints about the technical side of dentistry at the practice mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and Stuart yourself um, yeah, so I've known Neil for many years. Um, obviously, Neil set up Taylor Defence Services um, almost 11 years ago. Um, Neil was a dentist for 13 years, um, qualified lawyer, later called at the bar as an advocate. Um, I had a background of regulatory finance and accounting, um, held some senior positions within the banking sector, um, did some consultancy work as an accountancy and was also an operations director with a number of the, the dental corporate bodies. And it was through the dental corporate bodies that I was introduced to the, the regulatory background and non-regulatory products um, that Neil and I spoke to or spoke about on a, a frequent basis. Um, and it was within those roles that Neil invited me to, to join both he and Vicky at the time. So I will have been in my role as operations director at TDS for coming up six years now. Um, we've put a large part of effort into evolving the, the product and the insurers that we partner with uh, and maintain the 
the infrastructure of the business. Um, so that's that's really my background and how I came to to join TDS. So are you mainly on the operation side of things rather than the clinical side of things? Yes, I am. I don't have a, a clinical background. I've got a clinical um, in terms of the how indemnity plugs into dentistry. Mm. Um, so well aware of the risks and well aware of the the, the necessary protection that dentists need. And have you found it interesting at all working with dentists? I mean, I know it's a completely different world to banking and things like that. Do you do you wish you you had done dentistry in some way, or did you wish that you were involved with the clinical side of things, or not at all? Because I guess you see the side of things that hasn't always gone to plan, and things that aren't necessarily yeah. positive about the profession. It's 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 every day's different and it, it brings about different risks and I think my skill set and looking at risk adds value to the dentist and our clients in a different way I have a different perspective to, to many and it's always very interesting to me how dentistry works the the clinical aspects and um, the excitement that the, the dentists have and, and doing the best for their patients and in in some ways I, I need to be able to harness that excitement with patients with some control um, under the, the indemnity part of it, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is key um, in terms of educating the the sector, widely, you know, generally speaking. Yeah, I mean, dentistry is definitely a great profession, but I think especially now a lot of us have a fear of litigation. And I think that really starts from dental school even because we're so um, – not scared, I don't think that's the right word, but I think we're so prepared about things going wrong and patients being more and more aware now. Um, I guess litigation is rising in the UK as well. So I would say even from when I graduated, there was always this, this concern inside us that even though you have the best intention for the patient, you can sometimes get complaints and those complaints can sometimes escalate. Um, And that's what we're going to focus on today, mainly on complaints and how to handle them. And I guess complaints can come in all forms. They can come uh, in the form of a minor verbal complaint, or it could be something that's quite serious and all the way up to the GDC. Um, But Victoria, would you say there is a set outline or a system of how you would usually advise dentists to handle complaints? And I guess even though the nature of the complaints can be quite different, there should be a systematic way of assessing them and, and responding to them. Um, and when would you say is the right time to start asking for help from indemnities? So the first thing I'd say here is that the threshold for defining what is actually a complaint is really quite low. A complaint is defined as a um, an expression of dissatisfaction. So as you say, that could be a verbal um, comment made by a patient, or it could be a patient who comes in sort of you know ranting and raving and waving their hands in the air. But actually, because the threshold is quite low, that's the point where people need to maybe be a little bit attuned to the fact that they might have a patient who's complaining and get everything in order so that they can handle it. Every practice should have a complaints policy. So that would be the first place to go to and see what does the complaints policy say about how we're going to manage this situation. And because the threshold for a complaint is quite low and because the indemnity organisations are here really to start at that basic level of dealing with complaints, let alone things that do move forwards to litigation or to the GDC. But that's the point really where we need to be told about the problem and so that we can actually help 
offer some advice on the on the way to manage it because a lot of these complaints that come in we have seen them before they're the the same sort of things that patients often complain about just in maybe a different format so we've got the benefit of experience to call back on to say well we've had this before and this is you know what we best way to resolve this situation for the patient most complaints are handled locally they don't escalate and I do think that dentists need to probably keep a bit of a sense of perspective as to just there's a very low risk that they're going to escalate most things are handled locally I guess the the main thing for me when it comes to complaints is that because the majority of us I would say we all have good intentions for our patients you know we want Mm. to do the best by our patients nobody goes out there and aims to do harm in any way however I think the nature of a complaint coming through you can take it quite personally especially if you haven't had experience and Mm. I know colleagues and friends of mine um it just depends I guess on the demographic of patients you get on the type of patients that you get and you can start having complaints from quite early on in your career even if you're the best dentist that does the best clinical work not everybody is going to like you basically so I think Mm. the the thing that I struggle with in in the profession is that that personal aspect of thinking, even though I've done my best by a patient, they haven't been entirely happy. Um, and I guess we kind of have to get over that because it's nothing personal. It's It might be a lot of personal factors to do with the patient in some cases, if you've done your best by the patient. So I think the first thing to do is not to take, take it personally. Would you say that's the case as well? Yeah, yeah, that is a really good point because when we do get a complaint, the first thing is, you know, like you say, nobody sets out to do anything that would harm a patient. But the fact is, dentistry is a really technically challenging job. And you're dealing with, you know, small teeth are very small, patients can move about when they're being treated. You're working in a very hostile environment because there's tongues and there's spit mm-hmm. everywhere. And it's really difficult actually to do dentistry sometimes on some of these patients so you will look at things and go well do you know that's not my best dentistry there and sometimes things will go wrong you know you might inadvertently perforate a tooth doing an endodontic procedure and nobody sets out to do these things but things can go wrong for a whole host of reasons and we do need to maybe develop a bit of a sense of resilience when having these challenging situations because because they are going to happen to us. Nobody's going to get always simple treatments to do on very easygoing patients who open their mouths really wide. So yeah, we, I'm not saying that we shouldn't care about what we're doing, but I do think we do need to be a little bit, as you say, dispassionate towards it and go, okay, right, well, there's a problem here. How can I maybe reflect on what made that particular procedure difficult so it didn't quite go as I planned? And what can we do to resolve the situation so that it's fair to everybody? Yeah. And I think in because of the type of people we are as dentists, we're quite ambitious, quite high achieving. We're used to doing things really well. We're used to getting compliments about everything that we do um, and getting reassurances from our peers and colleagues and everybody around us. So I think your first complaint that you encounter is very easy to just take it personally and say, well, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm the most horrible person in the world because I've done this thing. But I think with experience, you'll find that actually it could be one patient that's been dissatisfied, but there's hundreds, possibly thousands of patients that are super happy with you. And it's just that that one person for for a variety of reasons. It could have been a clinical thing. It could have been a non-clinical aspect. But I think we're so prone to focusing on the negatives. And I know I, I speak from personal experience, you know, 
I could have hundreds of patients who've said wonderful, positive things about me, and they do. And they could be one patient that's been unhappy for, it could be a variety of reasons. It could be they were having a bad day. They came to reception. They were kept waiting. It could be everything that's led to them being unhappy with the treatment. Um, so I think definitely it's important to get perspective. And I think with experience, um, we'll find that actually not everything is about you. Um, yeah. Because, you know, with, for example, perforation of a, doing a root canal treatment, that's a known risk of the procedure. It could happen, but it could be that that patient wasn't fully made aware or they didn't feel they were ready. So it could be a number of reasons that have led them to that point. Yeah. And it's, like I say, it's really difficult to do all aspects of dentistry to the, to a really high level. So I, I don't do any endodontic procedures and I haven't since I joined this practice in 2007. Um, it wasn't one of my strong points. And there's so many different things that dentists are supposed to be amazing at, um, particularly if they are working in the health service, for example, where they have to offer really a full range of treatments. And not everything's going to be in necessarily your your own comfort zone um like you said earlier patients are a little bit less forgiving these days when things do go wrong um but the the best thing that people can do is is try and seek mentorship from more experienced dentists and learn from them and dentists the good dentist will always tell you, you know, what things went wrong for them. And then everybody can collectively learn from those experiences. And it just helps everybody, I think, feel better. Yeah, I mean, I've heard things throughout my my career from exactly like, like you said, from mentors and more experienced dentists saying things like patients don't tend to complain about dentists that they like. So Yes, mm-hmm. clinical things can go wrong and sometimes clinical things can go terribly wrong. And that might be the reason your patient complains. But sometimes it could be simple things like they weren't informed of certain things. They weren't told they'd be kept waiting. Small things that can escalate mm-hmm. and make a patient feel quite unhappy with the service they've had because, you know, patients are in a very, very vulnerable position. And I don't think we fully understand this until we've been a patient ourselves, um, be it medically or or otherwise. I think we sometimes overlook the fact that for a lot of patients, it's a very anxiety inducing experience to even go to the dentist. So they're already in a state of heightened alert Mm. before you see them. And like you say, patients often don't complain about dentists that they like, but they get to like people by it's the quality of the conversations that you have with them and the communication that you have. And as you're probably aware, gaining consent for treatment is really about communicating and finding out more about your patients. So the better we know our patients and the better we can communicate with them, the the less likely there there is to be problems. Yeah. And I I know that in my personal practice, there were things that, for example, I could see. And for example, you mentioned you looked at what was going wrong in the practice and how you could improve those. I did the same in my practice. For example, I found that you know, even though I would tell the price of, of a certain treatment to patients, they didn't necessarily fully register. And again, that can be back to them being so anxious that they don't register the things that you tell them. So mm-hmm. I've started, for example, giving them a written treatment plan, and that's worked wonders in making sure that they actually understand everything and they register everything. So simple things like that. But would you say there's tips or certain things that dentists can start doing to try and avoid um, their patients being unhappy and avoiding complaints? Oh, I think it's difficult um, in this day and age actually to avoid complaints because the the whole um, way everything's set up is really to 
allow patients to offer feedback if you like Mm -hmm. and feedback in itself might just be a very minor form of a complaint if the feedback's not not good so I think what we need to do is maybe like reframe it a little bit so that we're not seeing any of these negative comments that we get as complaints and actually sort of seek out in your own practice what are the things that patients like you know patient surveys are actually really helpful for finding out from a cohort of the patients what they like and our practice manager likes to do the surveys every um every 12 months or so and and, um they'll just get sent out automatically and it always seems to pick up um one of at least one of my patients who's really unhappy about something to do with the management of the practice but we tend to try and look through those um documents and see if there are any sort of common themes that the patients have picked up on like has the parking got to be a bit of a nightmare lately um are they all struggling with certain parts to do with filling out medical history forms because now dentally's moved on to this um authentication thing a lot of our patients are older so they don't have the means to do the two-factor authentication that's needed to get onto the portal um i think really sort of seeking out those things that are bothering the patients before somebody gets really upset about something is quite a good way to maybe be on top of things but like I said I don't think you're going to really be able to avoid complaints because um, the systems that we run and the practices that that we work in the systems are also complicated these days and everything's becoming more digitized which isn't necessarily easy for all patients to manage and um, so we, we're going to have complaints we just need to try and find a way to focus on them in a way that builds resilience and a positive outcome for everybody rather than seeing them as a really negative scary and stressful thing I think that's a really healthy way of looking at it because I think unless you're experienced in you know if you've been doing dentistry for a long time you don't actually understand how prevalent it can be in in Mm -hmm. some ways and it's so interesting that everything you mentioned there is is more from an operations point of view so patients could be upset about literally logistical things like parking and that Mm -hmm. could put them on edge so when they come and see you it might not be yourself that they're unhappy with as a clinician it could just be the logistical management of the practice parking accessibility and it's a really healthy and productive way to look at those things and I think when we ask for feedback we always want five-star reviews and positive feedback but actually those constructive comments could be quite helpful in us improving the service so I think it's really about perspective and Mm -hmm. seeing seeing it as an opportunity to improve and be it clinical or otherwise and just not dwelling on it I think yeah exactly and I think from from a personal point of view I would just say in terms of if there is a complaint I personally would get help from my indemnity and I have Victoria you know I have in the past uh, from the get-go even if it's not even a complaint it's just been a comment I'm just much more comfortable seeking help from the outset because if things aren't managed from the beginning, I I always have this concern that it could escalate. So even if it's a minor, minor comment, not even a complaint, I'm always the first to to jump on a call and just ask for, for just some advice on, on how to handle it and what to say back to the patient. Yeah, exactly. And actually, we looked at some of um, the figures of the types of cases that that we deal with and actually 25% of what we do is offer advice to clients who are having problems um, that they they want advice on a particular situation so it may not be a complaint but they might be thinking that it's going to turn into a complaint. We've 
been focusing on the clinical aspect of things and I didn't really understand the full context of indemnity and how there could be different aspects of indemnities. I mean, I as soon as I qualified, I went into hospital. So a lot of my indemnity was covered by the hospital itself. So when I came out into practice, it was a whole new world for me to try and navigate and find the right indemnity for me to make sure I had the right cover for the treatment I was doing. Would you say there are different types of indemnities that dentists can have? And what is it that TDS offers? Yes, as you say, I think there's a lot of dentists that will um, graduate and perhaps have not been told enough about the risks and their professional obligations in their career, their chosen career. So what TDS introduces um, is a policy of insurance, um, which provides contingent past, present and perpetual future cover by having a prior acts endorsement on a loss occurring policy. Now, that, in my opinion, is the most crucial aspect in the current climate for the dentist to understand. However, more importantly, the contingent past cover within the loss occurring policy means that if your previous indemnity provider, whether a medical defence organisation, an MDO, or a claims made insurance policy provider decline to assist or cover you for a claim or regulatory referral during a period that you were their member or client, then the TDS introduced policy is triggered by way of the prior acts clause to cover the claim. Now, TDS supports this policy by servicing it, providing access to 24 hours per day support from a team of qualified dentists and qualified law graduates who are all employed by TDS. Medical defense organizations or mutuals or unions offer a membership of a defense organization which is not regulated that allows the member to request support in the event of a claim. Any assistance is at the discretion of the management board um, as written out in their articles of association. Now, this is known as discretionary indemnity. It's referred to as discretionary indemnity. Um, within all of the government uh, discussions on this matter. So as the dental indemnity market sees more insurance providers join the market, it is important to understand what it is they offer. Some insurers offer a claims made policy with or without inbuilt runoff cover and with or without retroactive cover. Now, it's important to check what is defined as additional and therefore chargeable cover and what is defined as covered within the standard policy wording. So some insurers will offer a loss occurring policy, again, with or without retroactive cover. However, at present, contingent past cover is, in our opinion, key to supporting the dental sector from possible legislative changes that, if enacted upon, should outlaw discretionary indemnity. Now, the issue of past cover is fundamentally the issue. Knowing which insurance products will pick up the past liabilities from treatments carried out by dentists when they transfer to another provider is crucial. Now, TDS has spent the last 12 years 
tirelessly working to ensure support for the sector by constantly evolving the policy we introduce to ensure that the dental sector needs is being offered by TDS. Now, we've done that by understanding the potential risks to the individual dentists, the practice owners, corporate bodies, DCPs, and the rest of the market. So that kind of gives you a, a summary, um, Shadi, in terms of the differences between what we offer and what the other uh, key points are for you to consider when looking at indemnity. I mean, I think for me that a lot of that stuff is is things that I don't understand. So if, when I'm when I'm joining, I'm always sort of looking at the layman's terms of things. And I guess in in terms of what was really positive about TDS was the retroactive cover. And am I right in thinking that if you were with another provider in the past and something comes back from that time? For example, where you're with another provider and a claim arises from that, um, they're okay to cover you. Um, is that what that means? Retroactive cover extends cover of a previous insurance policy on a claims made basis. So, for example, if you were with a previous indemnity provider prior to joining the next indemnity provider, they may offer you what's called retroactive cover, which is essentially um, cover that extends the cover of your previous indemnity or insurance held period, but that doesn't go so far as what contingent past cover provides our clients, which is to say that it essentially, if the MDO or claims made insurer either declines to assist or can't assist, then the contingent past cover by way of the prior acts clause will pick up that past claim. So it's a sweep all. It's not just retroactive cover. There is a difference between the retroactive cover and the contingent past cover. Fine, I see. Um, and what is the difference between a loss occurring basis and is it a claims made basis? So a claims made policy, essentially the policy has to be in place at the time of the claim. So when the claim's made. Loss occurring policy provides you with the... Um, it's on an occurrence basis. So when the claim comes in from your policy inception date or whichever date is relevant, there may be a, a retroactive date, the policy will cover your period of insurance in perpetuity. So it mitigates any need to consider runoff cover. Um, and then obviously it depends on the, the added um, part of the the terms of the policy in terms of contingent past or retroactive dates that are crucial um, to moving from one provider to the next. I see. I, I'm glad I'm, I'm a dentist because this technical side of things is, is very difficult for me to understand. But I think the most important thing is just understanding the difference between the different policies that are out there and what it covers you in terms of when you joined and your past experiences as well. Would you say there is a common um, theme or common list of questions that you get from dentists, maybe some that are much more technically um, knowledgeable than I am, but what kind of questions do you usually get from them? There's a few. Um, there's a lot of jargon and confusion on this topic in general, uh, which is why a lot of the time we're asked about the difference between TDS and traditional indemnity providers, uh, the MDOs or the, their own existing indemnity provider, whoever that may be. So you know, touching on what I was saying earlier, we have an expanding team of employed advisors who 
are available 24 hours per day and who are all dentally legally qualified. Um, MDOs offer unregulated and discretionary products within a membership of a mutual organization that is governed by the Articles of Association. Reading the governed, um, sorry, reading the government's preferred option in the most recent consultation paper, um, which is the transition to an all-insured model, it is my firmly held belief that these unregulated and discretionary products offered by the mutual organisations may be outlawed should legislative changes be enacted. Now, the sector has seen a number of insurers um, enter the market, all of whom are fully regulated. Um, insurance providers may offer insurance policies on a claims-made basis. This means that the policy must be in place when the, the claim is made for the policy to be triggered. If you're seeking to purchase a policy of insurance on a claims-made basis, it is important to understand what retroactive terms are offered, what runoff terms are offered. Some policies will offer retroactive cover to cover a previous claims-made period from your previous indemnifier, saving you from having to buy runoff cover from your, your previous provider. Policies may come with or without runoff cover. Um, and it may be that at the cessation of the policy, you're offered to buy runoff cover, but it's equally important to understand the terms of the runoff cover that's being offered and the costs and the period for the runoff cover being offered. Now, if a dental professional has been a member of an MDO, a medical defence organisation, since graduation, there is a potential risk regarding past cover due to the likely impact on liquidity to cover past claims should the legislative changes be enacted. Now, contingent past cover is the only solution for the profession to resolve this. TDS had advised the government of this. Retroactive cover is not relevant when a dentist is trying to obtain cover from a period of membership of an MDO who may decline to assist or can't assist. What is relevant is having to introduce a, a product that will pick up the past claims when an NDO declines to assist. That is exactly what is introduced by TDS and why it's so important to understand. So moving on to the next question um, that we tend to be asked is, is runoff required after leaving TDS? Um, and the answer to that is no. Um, TDS introduces a a loss occurring policy, um, which means future cover is perpetual. No additional cost for any additional cover is necessary. Um, we can also provide retroactive cover. So um, to cover any previous insurance provided or period with a claims made provider, rather than having to purchase the runoff cover um, from the previous provider. Contingent pass cover is a standard part of our policy that would cover any claims decline um, by any period with an MDO or by the claims made provider. Um, additional questions would be, you know, I do private, I do NHS, I do cosmetic implant dentistry. What is the additional cost to the standard quote to cover all of this? Um, we understand dentists are busy people and indemnity 
is not being um, the most exciting topic to learn. However, it is, in my opinion, um, the most important consideration for a dental professional. Um, and are they covered for treatment? Um, they're carried out. TDS, therefore, likes to try and simplify um, how we operate um, to ensure that we're easy to deal with um, and the cover that we are offered is fully understood. Um, this is achieved by us offering a very clear solution to an overcomplicated topic. So we start this by our pricing structure and underwriting criteria at the point of joining, um, and then by defining what is covered within the standard policy wording and what is defined out with that definition. This helps ensure the client is fully aware of what they are covered for. This prevents them finding themselves restricted by membership tiering arrangements, um, certain insurance policy terms, or worse still, unwittingly providing treatment that they may not have been, or they may not have appropriate cover for in place to provide. Um, I suppose, you know, are, are my nurses covered under my policy is also a, a common question, um, more relevant to obviously the, the, the principles. If you have an individual policy, your employees at one location are covered under the, under your policy, um, would be the answer. Um, if you have two or more, two or more locations, um, we advise considering the terms of a corporate policy. And again, employees and nurses are all covered. Um, another main topic is, and what's prevalent just now in the marketplace, is, is uh, vicarious liability cover included. Now, vicarious liability, non-delegable duty of care seems to be the prevalent topic um, in this sector just now, despite having the, the, you know, the law not having changed um, for a number of years. This topic is a burning issue due to the recent cases that the profession has witnessed. Um, TDS has always included cover um, within the individual policy for principal dentists and PLVE trainers. If you're a practice owner and wish to grow the number of practices you have from two or more, we can introduce a corporate policy. Um, consideration should also be made for other partners, directors, who may be clinically or non-clinically qualified and who may be indemnified with other indemnity providers and as such, relying on their portion of the claim being covered by discretion or being exercised in the favour by, um, by an MDO or by the terms and conditions of their respective insurance policy. It is important to understand that partners and directors were, whether clinically qualified or not, can be held joint and severally liable, and they must ensure they are covered. The corporate policy we now introduce offers similar cover as our individual policy by providing contingent past, present, and perpetual future cover by introducing a loss occurring policy with a prior acts endorsement. So it's exactly the same as um, the individual policy that we provide or introduce. In the dental ownership limited company corporate market, there are others primarily offer uh, claims made indemnity or an unregulated and discretionary product offered by a mutual defence organisation 
or by offering a claims made insurance policy. The TDS introduced new product is aimed to support the growing corporate sector and prevent potential indemnity gaps that may occur through the process of buying and selling practices where claims may arise from their own from their ownership period well after the sale. Um, the policy we introduced is a solution and should simplify the conveyance and, um, and hopefully reduce the risk. So in summary, it is important to understand what you're buying, whether that be an unregulated discretionary product offered by an MDO by way of a membership and understand the potential issues with possible, but in my opinion, likely legislative changes and how that may impact on liquidity of the organisation that you will be relying on to cover past claims or whether you wish to buy an insurance policy with which you need to check the scope of cover, whether retroactive cover is relevant to cover previous claims made cover that you may be moving from, whether you may need to purchase additional runoff cover at the policy's cessation date to cover previous made uh, claims made insurance period, or whether you buy a loss occurring policy that currently, and whether they offer retroactive cover, or what in my opinion is a key solution depending dangers created by legislative change is contingent past cover on a loss occurring policy to eradicate all of the above issues. That's quite interesting. Thank you, Stuart, for a very concise but detailed answer. And I think with a lot of us, when we're looking for indemnity, because obviously we don't, I mean, that's all very interesting. And I think I learned a lot about my own policy, a lot more in this talk than I did when I took it out. But um, I think the thing that we focus on, we tend to focus on is, as dentists, is what treatment is covered and how much does it cost, rather than the actual, okay, well, what am I actually covered for? And I think for me personally, for example, when I first started out in facial aesthetics, it was quite reassuring for me to know when I called TDS and checked and they said, well, actually, if you provide up to this amount uh, of treatment, it's covered within your regular dental um, coverage. Um, and I think that was really, really helpful. And it's it's minor things like this that that really do make the difference. So thank you so much for that for that answer. No problem. I appreciate it, it was long winded, but hopefully and captured all the. It's very the key informative, points. and I think I need to go and do some more research and homework and find out what that actually means. But it's reassuring to know that I I have I hope I have what is cor the correct policy in place. <laughs> in my opinion, yes, you do. Thank you very much. Well, thank you both so much. That's been very, very informative. I know this isn't a particularly um, fun topic to talk about, but it's very, very important, possibly one of the most important things in our profession. So thank you both so much for your advice. Thank you for having us. Thanks. Thanks very much, Shelley. really hope you've enjoyed this episode and hopefully learned a few things I know I certainly did and as always don't forget to let me know what you thought of this episode you can reach out to me on Instagram at Dr Shadi Manucheri I always love hearing your responses and if you have any requests for future podcast episodes please let me know there I do usually listen if there are specific requests that are quite popular as always there will be a new episode every week so please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and never miss a 